a former Japanese expat and a novelist on episode 23 of My guest today is an important one. He is the highly successful, and since he lives in Denver, he might also be successfully high right now, author of four novels and counting, including the Tournament Trilogy, the first of which, 2011's Blue Fall, is available for a limited time right now as a free ebook on Amazon.com. He has also just released Follow the Crow, the first in the Vanished series about exiled Navajo police officer Ben DeJulie and clairvoyant nurse Caroline Adams, available from Griffith Public. <laughs> wherever books are sold. More relevantly, he studied Japanese in college and after graduation, moved to Japan with JET, ahem, that's the Japanese English teaching program, not my crappy American football team or the aggressor jingoist gang in West Side Story. We recently reconnected over a long lunch and during a far longer evening of belligerence during his first visit back to Japan since. He is everyone's favorite acerbic man of letters, pen name B.B. Griffith. Please welcome my friend, Mr. Bradley Griffith, to the podcast. Hey! Happy to be here, Lev. Thanks for having me on, man. It was I'm great so glad. And- yeah, yeah. I am so glad you we were doing this. This is wonderful. Yeah, yeah, man. You know, I uh, I I think a lot about our uh, our lovely time in Osaka we had together. I'd like to see really where you've gone since then. <laughs> um, how's Denver? Your your microphone is not food. Just remember that. Oh, okay. I, I got you. I got you there. Yeah. Uh, Denver is great. I'll tell you, it really has undergone a lot of changes recently, most notably with the, with the pot thing, which I will say I voted for. I, I'm going to put that out there. Yeah, there goes any any future plans for office in certain sectors, but it's out there. All right. I, I I'm not surprised, uh, but so yeah. Well, I mean, you, you voted for it as a as a stringent fiscal conservative. You thought uh, that potentially there was a lot of revenue that we were leaving on the table in the great state of Colorado, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. You know, and more than that, I, I should be able to decide whether or not I want to smoke pot for myself or not. I, I think, and obviously, the rest of Denver and Colorado voters think the same way, or the majority. And uh, the world hasn't caved in, so we're all still here. <laughs> There's a lot of like pretty conservative areas of Colorado though that have basically resisted it though, right? Like there are no like uh, you know, what do you call them? Like cafe, what are they, what are they called? Pharmacies? Uh yeah, opium dens. <laughs> uh, um, no, yeah, they they call them dispensaries, recreational dispensaries. dispensaries. Recreational dispensaries. Yeah. Okay. There but like Colorado Springs doesn't have rec rec disps. No, no, Colorado Springs, I venture to say will be all of us cold and dead in the ground before Colorado Springs decides yeah. to. Yeah, it's very easy to buy a pot in Denver and v- even easier to purchase an automated weapon in Colorado Springs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you want your guns? Go to the springs. I, I'll say, I'll say this. You know, I, I, you know, it's not like I'm a huge pot smoker or anything. And I know a lot of people who aren't that still voted for it. But you know, you go into these places, and the, and and it's not weird. That's all I ask. I just don't want it to be weird, you know. And they and they made it not weird. It's that you go in there. I go into these dispensaries, and I'm the I'm the youngest guy there, and I'm in my thirties. So it's it's like. It's what just, did you expect it, that it would an, be? What were you afraid that you were going to walk in? There'd be a guy bumping fish at the entrance and a, dude, a white dude in dreadlocks. Exactly. <laughs> what I is it, though? It's like dudes nothing, in business suits? Or what? I, yeah, I, it's true. I, yeah, it, it's, it's older people, people, you know, normal uh, tax-paying uh, uh, <laughs> 
I, I expected nothing but black lights to blind posters, and uh, what I got was was full blown businesses. So, is there no is there no naked hippie unshaven couple in the corner having sex, or is that not? There was one, but they kicked him out. Well, so so everything's going well with the release of the new book. Is this podcast the only press that you're doing? You know, uh, this is the only uh, podcast press that I'm doing. Is this your first podcast? Uh, yeah, I, uh, yeah, this is probably. I'd say I'm trying to think. No, I don't. I don't think I've been recorded. No one knows what my voice sounds like. They're probably thinking I have a much more sultry voice, being the romance author that I am. So I'm going to try to really bump. Bump up the baritone. I like how you weren't sure if this was the first time you've been recorded. Like, are you friends with Linda Tripp? Like, what was your... Like, what were you worried about? Dude, I'll tell you, Colorado, you get paranoid. God knows yeah. who's recording I can't imagine. Kids. Yeah, I can't imagine why. Um, so, the la- like you mentioned, uh, the last time I saw you, we had just finished a two-hour karaoke session. There had been a bunch of drinks. We shotgunned a beer in the middle of America Town in Osaka. We also went to this awesome mm-hmm. kushikatsu restaurant. How was the rest of your trip through Japan, man? Uh, it was it was awesome, man. You know, I, I that was obviously the highlight uh, That's for bullshit. a lot of reasons. <laughs> no, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, it was for a lot of reasons. Mostly because uh, it was it, it's such a weird area, and then to see. A buddy, uh, you know that we that we're comfortable with, and it, for my wife and myself, it was it was really a cool thing to see. But we we hung out a lot in the tourist places, and we saw some cool things that were off the beaten path. But we never really got into any other city like we did Osaka, right. which was the the point of knowing a guy on the inside there. And are you still on the inside, Lev? I I don't know. You know what's what's it look like there? Are you are you on the ins or the outs? I'm on the inside of the outside of the inside. No, I have no idea. But um, it it is, you make a really good point about about being a tourist in Japan. They don't give a shit about you and they don't care. And they, there's very much a separate world for tourists and not. And I guess that's that's the case everywhere to some extent. But in Japan, you can really feel like they're just herding you towards the picture menu spots and uh you know the expensive mm-hmm. museums and stuff it's it can be frustrating sometimes no i i definitely agree it's almost like they paint the street with a like a magenta arrow and then you you follow that arrow and you see your temples and then you see your this and that and it's all beautiful uh and it's and it's very exotic and it and it is what it is but you hardly ever get in any sort of depth uh yeah. with yeah. people or you know yeah, and i was like that for a year, even even when I lived over there for a year, it, it it takes a lot to get on the inside of that country. I don't know what I honestly I don't think I ever did it. So you were you were in Toyama, which is a pretty small town, right? When you were doing jet, what was I mean? What was that like? Yeah, that was definitely the what they call the you know well the Inaka. That was the rural area, and it was a city. It's on the South Korean facing seaboard over there. I don't know what you call that. The north northwest facing right it's odd of, because uh, japan is sort of on a diagonal island in the maps we yeah. we think of but yes I, I yes i understand what you're saying it's on the north coast of japan north, but yeah, yes the, the north northernly coast and yeah. uh, and, it, and it was a city that was you know 90 percent destroyed they rebuilt it in almost exclusively concrete and i think that 
you know, for whatever reason, they still are trying to kind of recapture what they were. A lot of people wanted to move away. And I can see why. I mean, it was, <laughs> it's a very small town. I mean, it, and there's not a lot going on. But it is part of the new Shinkansen line. They have a new extension of that Hokuriku line, I think. And so who knows what's going to happen. I think maybe it'll all change around. I think those things are good for little towns. I mean, if you're not near the train line in this country, you might as well not exist. No, yeah, you're you're invisible. I, I think. And I it, mean, I guess it's it, the same thing with the interstate system in America. If Robert Moses didn't like your small town, you're basically fucked, right? I mean... <laughs> it's true. And it's like one of the last countries in the world where the public transportation entire organization is very highly respected from, like, top to bottom. I mean, I think people... At least my impression was even that, like, the train drivers that was still a fairly well-respected job as opposed to here. What was your experience like teaching Japanese students? How old were your students? You did it for a year. Was Did you feel like there was progress? Or? Well, I'll tell you... You know, I, first of all, I, I think I, I went right out of college, so I still had that, like, super annoying, cocky, post-collegiate asshole view of the world where I thought I knew everything. And so I, I still view it through those glasses because, you know, you're just kind of a cocky dick. I had, I had to look at it through that. But to be honest, I went over there. I spoke the language. I still went over there thinking vacation in mind. A lot of guys do that. They give you three years. And I, I only ever figured I was going to do one year. And I wasn't going to really invest. And I was going to get out what I... I could get out and then I was going to leave. And so in a lot of ways, I kind of deserved what I got. Uh, but what I got was a private school. The first thing that I learned was that private schools are very different in Japan than they are in the United States. Here, it's kind of like the bastion of rich, exclusive kids. And over there, it's the kids that don't make it or don't have the grades to get into the public system because the public system is where you need to be. As always, in Japan, you need to be with the system. Right. The best schools are the public schools. They're the ones that, that funnel you into the state-sanctioned colleges and then, the, and then all the state-sanctioned companies that are affiliated with it. And then the rest of them are the private schools and those kids. I'm pretty sure uh, they have state-sanctioned sexual positions over here, too. So I, I Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> That's right, the uh, Toshiba downward dog and, <laughs> and whatnot. I think I got pamphlets on that when I was just arriving in Narita. Well, how old were the kids? It was a high school. Oh, and, wow. Uh, they, yeah, and most of them were, I, I'm not going to say that they were like not bright, you but they, they, they were not molded into the successful Japanese high school kid mentality. Most of them came from poor socioeconomic backgrounds. They had absolutely no use for English. I mean, 95% of them. They would, most of them would go on to work in factory jobs right. or in Toyama in areas where they would never speak English. So I don't blame them that they didn't care. They didn't give a shit about English. Right. I and picture, I, I don't blame let me them. know if, let me know if this image is wrong, but I picture you as Michelle Pfeiffer in Dangerous Minds. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I was Michelle Pfeiffer in my JTE, my uh, Japanese teacher equivalent. He was Coolio. What I wasn't used to was the blatant disregard that they would give me as a teacher. I mean, we're talking kids, entire rows of kids just sleeping, like right in front of you. And then an entire other row of kid, of girls just busting out in whole hog makeup stations, like with mirrors and six types of bronzer and then like lining up their lipsticks 
and then like applying things, like right in the middle of class. That was to me, at first I was extremely offended, you know, and I would go and I'd sit like on the kids' desks, I'd chuck erasers at the sleeping, I, I, you know, I thought I could <laughs> turn them around. So because they that didn't a, care, eventually you grew not to care? Yeah, I, you know, and I'd like to say I had that super teacher in me, but I, I'm not a teacher, you know, again, really like I, I went as yeah. a 22 year old kid and I didn't have that in me. But then there was like 5% of kids were just awesome and they would come up to you and they would work real hard to try to talk to you and you'd think, I really hope you guys get someplace that you want to be. What was the name of your favorite student? You know, I had a guy uh, that was uh, Daisuke. Daisuke, um, okay. He was a good guy. Yeah, and, uh, and uh, there were a couple other girls. There were like five girls that were... It's always the girls that are the good ones. Most of the guys suck in general, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so you you went back to yeah. Toyama when you were in Japan just now with, with Emily, with your wife Emily. By the way, hi, Emily. Let's go Royals. Was it cool getting to show her all the places in Toyama that you talked about? Did you get to see any of your old students or anything? Yeah, you know, I did. I walked back there. It was during the summer. and so. But, you know, in Japan, they never stopped going to school. But uh, So there is no summer for, for children. Well, it's like, it's like a month, right? <laughs> it's a month where they cram... Um, and they do other than they just supplement their daily school routine with other things. But yeah, I walked over there uh, with her and we actually ran into an English teacher there. Everybody was gone. I mean, it, with the private system too, another thing is there's a lot of turnover, which doesn't exist, I don't think, right. in the state sanctioned school. So almost nobody was left. But we ran into uh, an English teacher that was there that I didn't know that came after my time and she let us in and I and got to see my desk and I was struck with wave after wave of nostalgia. It looks the exact same. You know, I, we walked into the gym and the kids were playing basketball and they all stopped and like their captain came over and, and addressed us and bowed and asked if we could, he could get us anything. I said, no, no, we're just looking. It was cool to see. So what, what were some things that you loved about living in Japan? You know, I love a lot of, about Japan and, uh, the thing that comes to mind most for me and what Emily was struck by, she said it was the only place in her entire life that she has felt no danger whatsoever as yeah. a woman. Yeah. And uh, and that really, really struck me. And that says a lot about the society we live in over here. But it, it is such a rare thing. I mean, she said, as a woman, you don't understand what you're carrying around in your everyday life until you until that that weight's gone mm. and you're over there and there sure. and you feel no threatening thing at all. If only you could buy guns and, here, it would be so much safer. Just like the Colorado <laughs> Springs guys say. <laughs> if more, if only there were more guns in Japan. She asked me. She goes, "Do women not get harassed there?" And I said, "No, they get harassed a lot." Oh no, they definitely. They that's harassed. like a big issue here. I think is it's is, a uh, huge issue, and I yeah. didn't see that. I, I I guess they don't harass foreign women, and I said, "Yeah, they harass." Yeah, they, I don't know what happened, but they just don't. She didn't feel uncomfortable there. Hashtag yes, all women definitely would be necessary in Japan for sure. One of the guys who lives in my building, this guy Hodi, he's like a journalist basically, and he covers the crime beat in Osaka. And he tells me his job is like, you know, oh, there was a liquor store robbery, like, you know, last week. We're still looking into it. Like, you know, there'll be like yeah, one or I two mean, crimes a day and they like every one of them gets reported and like written on, you know? Yeah, I remember when I showed up, uh, the guy before me kind of uh, gave me a couple of tips and I said, well, is there an area in Toyama that I should not go? 
or whatever, and he goes, brother, if you dropped your wallet in the red light district, it would get returned to you in 30 minutes. <laughs> There's no, like, bad guys really roaming the streets of these areas, you know. Maybe, maybe some of your former students. <laughs> yeah, those kids. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And if, if that's true, I'll have to reprimand them for smoking, which they told us to do if we ever saw them out there. Smoking. They told you to yell at them yeah. for smoking cigarettes. That's good. Cigarette smoking is a really yeah. serious issue. There's a cigarette section in my in my office. There's like half a floor. Oh, and um and like every bar you can smoke in them and uh cigarettes are smoking is a really serious issue in this country although they still live longer than we do but yeah i don't understand i i, I told her if they gave up on the chronic drinking and the uh, like chronic smoking of cigarettes the japanese would live to be 180 yeah what was the coolest thing you saw when you were in japan let's try that you know the the greatest thing that i did was hitchhike you know, I'd never hitchhiked in my life, and That's I don't awesome. think I'll ever do it again. That is cool. I, I but it, I hitchhiked with a buddy for a little while, and uh, and we just stuck our thumbs out, and we like got picked up by. Well, I mean, you can picture this guy. I'm sure you saw him or his equivalent at the at, at Fuji Rock or something like that. You know, <laughs> he, the guy a guy a guy in a conversion van blasting music, like breaks skids to the side of the road, just pops open the door. And doesn't even ask us where we're going. <laughs> he just takes us. What kind of tunes? What kind of music was he ago. listening to? Yeah, it, I think it was a Japanese, like I think it was Japanese metal. Oh, actually, yeah. And 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 he and he just like closed the door, and then he told us. I mean, and this was four in the morning, and he and he just drove us to like a bar that, that he and all his buddies were at and we stayed there for another like four hours and uh and that actually ended up being one of the places that became like a regular area for us to go and that was a really cool thing that i i went through and that i don't think i'll ever do again that was yeah. probably the last time in my life i'll truly wander into into anything yeah and eating eating at a restaurant alone and and going to a bar alone mm -hmm. it, it, it's uh at first, really, maybe a little intimidating. Eventually, you grow to love it, and then there are times where you're like, "Fuck!" When it when the weight of it just falls on your face, yeah, and, and you're, you're like, like, "What I, am I doing uh, here?" I'm like so tired of having to try so hard to find normalcy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and that's just part of the whole expat experience, man. That's I mean, true. I'm that would be the case you, anywhere. Are, that's true. Yeah. Where are you on the uh, traditional expat? Pat curve? Are you in the relentlessly depressed, uh, the upward, <laughs> upwardly mobile, <laughs> the crest, the, the the climax? What are you doing? Uh, well, where I are recently, you? <laughs> I recently passed my halfway point during my my year uh -huh. stay. I'm almost at the seven month mark. I got about a little more than five months to go. I'm hovering somewhere between clinical depression and this is awesome. <laughs> Well, isn't that life for you? It's that is life, yeah. Line. Hey, man, we just left the recreational dispensary, man. We we got to fast forward the podcast. <laughs> when we were over there, for instance, we saw Emily remarked on the train. It was it was an older man with his with his mother. I mean, I'm talking. This guy's probably thirty. I don't know, maybe maybe late twenties, and his mother was holding him and massaging his like forehead and and combing his hair and he couldn't really didn't do it and i don't think he was disabled i just think he was for whatever reason sort of kind of a like a in a cocoon uh i think the word you're social. looking for is pussy <laughs> yeah <laughs> 
maybe maybe that's it. Well, they, the there's like a word. The there's thing. a word for for like mama's boy, but it's like there's a there's a word for the sort of recluses where like they they don't they don't really leave the house. They don't get a job. They just kind of become wards of their parents. We have that problem in America too, obviously. Kuki yomenai. Yeah. Uh, so kuki is air, and yomenai is unable to read. Uh, and so it basically, mm-hmm. as far as I gather, it doesn't mean like autistic. I don't think. I don't think it's like a clinical thing, but it's just like dudes who are weird who don't understand like social situations. And as far as I can yeah. tell, it basically applies to the entire country. No, it doesn't. I'm joking. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> they really, it yeah, seems to it- me like they really pride themselves on fitting in. And in America, mm-hmm. we we aspire to be individuals. Our 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 high schools teach kids creative writing, and they want you to find your individual voice, find you, be yourself. And I think there's mm-hmm. maybe a com- there's maybe like a, somewhere in the middle would be ideal. Like we maybe have gone too far in one direction, and they've gone too far in another. But it's it's weird. It's different. Yeah, I'd like to think there's a middle ground somewhere between our two cultures. That's just uh, just the. Uh, a golden paved road to Shangri-La. And I don't know if we're ever going to find that, but... I feel like you're a bit of a history buff, and last week was the 69th anniversary of the dropping of the atomic bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, obviously. It seems like there's quite a bit of revisionist history over here about this. At the Nagasaki Atomic Bomb Museum I went to, there was a, a, a bunch of stuff that basically essentially asserted that the main reason the United States dropped the atomic bombs was to justify the expense of the Manhattan Project. Did you ever encounter anything like that? You know, I can't say that I did. I would only ever get into it with my close co-workers when I went after several drinks and and they seemed to think that you know of course this guy was kind of a hippie and he, he was endlessly uh, sorry you know still I was over there 10 years ago and even since then I think that they've kind of gone hawkish they rewrote their constitution sort of to get the defense force that's right they rein- reinterpreted into- that's right reinterpreted yeah announced a reinterpretation of the constitution which would enable Japan to come to the defense of its allies and a guy in uh, Tokyo was so upset about this that he lit himself on fire on a bridge overpass yeah yeah I, you know and I was going to ask you if you had actually talked anyone about how that was kind of well they can have a standing army sort of of sorts now and i don't know what they think of that you know i i i'm I reluctant I, yeah, to get into for, politics i'm reluctant to talk politics with my coworkers. i do remember a funny thing when uh when you know i was over there when north korea was firing uh those tapadong missiles like over japan they do this every now and then in north korea they get all hot and bothered and shoot a couple missiles over the country just right. to see if they can do it. I was teaching them about Rain and uh Rain the and, uh K-pop artist or <laughs> no the uh the weather phenomenon. Yeah. Ame, Ame. Yeah, Ame, we're at a very basic level. Uh so <laughs> I was telling them about that and uh and I said, "Okay, so tell me what other things can fall from the sky." And you know, someone said snow. And someone, someone said like sleet. And then another kid goes tape it on missile. And I was laughing at that, you know, because they it, it, it's a, it, they are threatened over there by a lot of weird actors in that sphere of influence that we don't really think about. I mean, North Korea is insane for us, but it's an insane neighbor for them. 
And so I don't know, you know, I I think part of them, obviously some of them are like, well, we should have something out there in case it gets hairy. But they, you know, my experience was they really were still very much, you know, contrite about how to, you know, deal with the whole war thing. Of course, so. they're all they're all very, um, if you talk to, to people, they all acknowledge that they were in the wrong. That they were, Yeah, and of course, that, yeah. that could have been just the shiny Japanese perfect, humble veneer, which you have. I mean, I never really, it's difficult to see what any of them really think about anything actually. The amount of the, the death toll from those bombs and the ramifications afterwards, and I mean, it's 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 unspeakable, all that, and I think you go through something like that, even if it's two generations removed. Yeah, this is a country that's only a generation and a half removed from what was essentially totalitarianism. That was a terrible terrible era and they they are not paying lip service to the peace thing and uh, they want that and they want that to be kind of the the way that the country is presented going forward i strongly believe that and i think that's why there's so much backlash against this hawkish stuff speaking of isolationism brad i think it's time for me to go back to my lonesome thank you so much for coming on the podcast man i just want to say how much fun we had out there with you and how cool i think what you're doing is i mean it takes balls to pack up and move over there I know, I did it. It's a beautiful country over there. And Thanks, it's good man. Yeah, hopefully you, hopefully and, we'll and, see each other again real soon. Arigato gozaimashita to everybody for listening, and sayonara. Sayonara! <laughs>